Hey everybody, my name is Aubrey and you're listening to the Faithful Millennial Podcast where I talk about Jesus, Bible prophecy, and world news in hopes to reconnect the millennials and Gen Z generation back to Jesus Christ. Thank you for being here. Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here on episode eight of the Faithful Millennial Podcast. I am your host, Aubrey Brooke. Um, Last episode, we ended on the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. So I am super excited to talk about the next phase in Bible prophecy, which is the 1,000 millennial year reign of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. So Um, A much more uplifting subject, definitely excited to talk about this one, but um, just to kind of debrief on the last episode, we explained the reason for the tribulation, who it impacts, how it's going to look on earth during those seven years. We also explained more on the mark of the beast and then the biblical findings, as well as modern day technology that could very well be the first signs of the mark of the beast. So after God's seven-year tribulation judgment on earth... There is a battle that takes place, and we spoke about this being called the Battle of Armageddon at the Valley of Megiddo in Israel. So this is the battle where Jesus Christ finally returns to earth to destroy all of the evil armies that are left on earth, as well as Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. So at this time, the archangel Michael also locks up Satan in the abyss for a thousand years, and then the false prophet and the Antichrist are thrown into the lake of fire by Jesus himself. Um, And then Jesus obviously destroys the rest of the evil army that's on earth. Uh, The book of Revelation actually describes it as um, a slaughter. Apparently there's so much blood in this valley of Megiddo at this time that it's half of the height of a horse, I believe is how it's described in Hebrew. So, After this takes place, the Battle of Armageddon, the Bible talks about in the book of Revelation that there is a resurrection that takes place. So the first of the two resurrections are referred to as literally the first resurrection. So let's read where this is so that we have some context of what I'm about to go over. So if you read in Revelation chapter 20 verses 4 through 6, it says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them. A judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him 1,000 years. So according to this verse in Revelation, this is where the bodies of the tribulation saints who accepted Christ during the tribulation period are resurrected and then their souls are met back with their earthly bodies And then they are given a new glorified body, like the ones that we were given at the rapture before the seven-year tribulation takes place. So this is also where Old Testament saints are resurrected and given their new glorified body to reign and rule with Christ for a thousand years. So if you think of Abraham, King David, um, etc., all of them are at this point given new glorified bodies. A lot of people confuse this resurrection with the rapture. 
because it's a very similar event in terms of bodies being resurrected from the dead. Um, And this is where a lot of people get the post-rapture view from the confusion between the um, differentiating the resurrection, the first resurrection, with the moment of the rapture. So in order for us to live on earth with Christ, we have to have literal bodies, just in glorified terms. So like when Jesus, when he was resurrected from the dead, you read that he could eat, he could drink, um, but he could walk through walls. He could disappear and he could reappear at any point. So that's what it means to have a glorified body. He told his disciple Thomas, um, can't remember what verse exactly it is, but he Thomas basically is saying, hey, I'll believe that Jesus is resurrected when I touch his wound, when I touch his stab wound, when I can put my hand through his hole in his hand, then I'll believe that Jesus has been resurrected. Well, then you see Jesus appearing to Thomas and he says, hey, Thomas, put your hand in my side and feel my stab wound. Put your hand through my, the hand in my hole, the, goodness gracious, through the hole in my hand um, so you can feel that I am resurrected, I am alive. So Jesus has a physical body, but it's a supernatural physical body. This is also what you read about when the Apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says, When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. So in this glorified state, you're incapable of sinning because you have the law of God written on your heart. But you also have a physical body that's capable of supernatural means. So pretty incredible to me. But um, I think the best part about this is that you'll be able to eat whatever you want and just not gain weight. That to me is heaven. Um, So the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20 that those of us with glorified resurrected bodies are also helping with Christ's reign on earth at this time. It says that we will be governing body on earth. So Christ will be in charge and he will rule out of Jerusalem from his temple. Um, And then we, as his followers, will be over cities and states. So basically, we will be Jesus's version of the government on earth enforcing God's law. So this is the first resurrection. This takes place at the beginning of the millennial kingdom of Christ, which is after the seven-year tribulation. So we'll talk about the second resurrection at the end of this episode, since that doesn't take place until after the 1,000 years. Um, So I just want to give some context just so listeners can understand what life will be like during Christ's millennial reign. Um, The Bible doesn't give us too many details, but it does give us a little bit of insight about what we'll be doing and what the earth will look like. So the earth will be completely restored to its Eden-like nature, um, very similar to what the earth looked like before Adam and Eve sinned against God. It'll be a place where the Bible says um, in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 8, that a child can lie down next to a lion and not be harmed. A baby can put its hand into a viper's den and not be hurt. So even animals won't have that sin nature to them. Animals will be completely safe to be around. They won't have that desire to be hunter or hunted, which is amazing. The earth will be glorious. I don't know exactly what life is going to be like without having to worry about um, what's next quarter's budget or, hey, we need to hit our Q4 numbers or else we all get laid off. Um, So I have no idea if that concept of working in like a corporate world is going to exist during this time. I can probably assume that our lives are not going to have that type of mundane work to it when we consider what work will be like in the millennial reign. 
Um, I think our jobs are going to be more like farming, taking care of animals, taking care of people, um, making sure that sin stays dormant and that anyone who does commit crime or sin is going to be probably dealt with really swiftly. Um, I think that life on earth will finally have a purpose for us in a sense that, you know, we'll be completely filled with love and we'll be totally just at God's mercy when it comes to whatever it is that he wants us to do with our time. We will do it. Whatever Christ says, we do it and we do it to the glory of God. So I like to imagine um, people are, you know, just able to go wherever they want to go, see whatever they want to see, eat the food they've always wanted to eat. Um, you know, if you want to go to Greece and see Italy or whatever, um, just go. You know, you don't have any limitations in terms of like, um, oh, you need to get a passport or you need to have such and such ID or you need to have a mark of the beast to go here. Um, so it'll be really cool. It's going to be it's going to be heaven on earth, basically, for those 1000 years. Now, during the millennial reign of Christ, there will also be a fourth and final temple. Because remember, the third temple that was built during the seven-year tribulation, um, that got destroyed by the Antichrist and by the earth basically being destroyed. Um, So Christ is reigning from his temple in Jerusalem that will be a literal fourth temple. And one thing I find fascinating is that at the end of the seven-year tribulation, there will be a remnant of surviving humans on earth that actually did survive the tribulation and who did not worship the beast and actually gave their life to Christ during that time. Um, so even though there's not going to be many of them that survive that, there, there will be a remnant of humans. The Bible says that those believers will also be in the 1,000-year reign of Christ on earth. But the only difference is they won't have glorified bodies because they never actually died in order to get resurrected in glorified bodies. Nor did they get raptured with that glorified body because, remember, they didn't accept Christ until after the tribulation began. So there will be human beings during the millennial reign who are able to have children. And those children will have children. Those children will have children, et cetera, et cetera, um, who are born during the 1,000 years. And the reason why I say that is because those individuals during this time who were born during the 1,000-year reign, those will still have a sin-like nature to them. They will not have the law written on their hearts like we with our glorified bodies will have. Now, we know that we as humans are inherently sinful and our hearts are deceiving. So even though they know Christ and they understand that he is king and ruler over the earth, these humans... Some of them, not all of them, some of them, um, they won't be in their glorified state, obviously. And you have to remember, humans are always going to have the free will to choose God or not. So we know from the past that history uh, is going to repeat itself. It's doomed to repeat itself. So look what's going on right now with all the support of the Hamas terror group. I'm seeing more anti-Semitic propaganda than I thought I would ever see in my lifetime. There is a massacre of Jews going on, and the Hamas and Hezbollah terror groups are just eating this free Palestine movement up. This is a war between Israel and Hamas. This is not a war between Israel and Palestine, but the media is feeding it that way. This is just like the start of the Holocaust with Hitler. Hitler was spewing anti-Semitic propaganda so much that a huge part of the population during the 30s and 40s, they began to believe what Hitler was saying. And thus many people, 
I'm talking hundreds of thousands of people, also started to hate the Jews. So same thing here in the Millennial Kingdom. These humans that were born during this 1,000-year time frame, they are going to experience the choice of free will just like you and I do. And unfortunately, there are people that will not accept Christ during this time. Because remember, they didn't experience the seven-year tribulation. They don't know what the actual consequence looks like to rebel against God since they weren't alive to see that. They'll know the consequence in their head. They'll know, hey, obviously the consequence is eternal hell. But they would have never experienced that consequence, just like the tribulation saints had to experience it. So there will be a remnant of humans during this time that will reject the rule of God. It could be envy. It could be resentment towards Christ for enforcing the law. Who knows, really? But I say this because at the end of the 1,000 years, the Bible tells us that Satan is released for what the Bible refers to as um, air quotes, a little season. So we don't know how long Satan is released exactly, but what Revelation does state in chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, is that he is released from the abyss for a thousand, after the 1,000 years is over, and he goes out to deceive the nations again. So as hard as it is to believe, even though earth will basically be perfect during Christ's reign, um, there's going to be a small portion of humans who are still deceived by Satan. And it says that Satan will form an evil army that goes up against Christ at Jerusalem at the end of the 1,000 years. But then it says that God sends a fire from heaven that destroys that army. And then Satan is locked away for eternity, finally, forever, in the lake of fire where the false prophet and the Antichrist are. So for context, this is what the Bible says about this moment. It says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan will be loosed out of his prison. And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. So you might be asking the question, if earth is perfect with Christ reigning, why would God release Satan again? Why can't God just lock up Satan forever at the beginning of the 1,000 years? Most likely reason is because God is proving once again that Satan is unredeemable and how inherently wicked the human heart can be. And this is also God's last final call to deal with all sin and all sinners for the very last time forever. So once these remnant of evildoers are cast into the lake of fire and they're destroyed, sin will no longer exist at this point. So once this is complete, we enter into the period of the final judgment, also known as the second resurrection from Revelation chapter 20 verse 5. So the second resurrection takes place, as we know, at the end of the 1,000 year millennial reign and after Satan is locked away. So this is where everyone all throughout time who's ever existed, anyone who has not put their faith and their trust in Christ Jesus, they're resurrected in a physical body to be judged by God at the final judgment. So you can find this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 13. It says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. So at this scene, we have the final judgment of all the non-believers. And if you picture it this way, everyone who is in hell right now, everyone who has died from the fire that came down from heaven during Satan's last coup, anyone who has not trusted in Christ for their salvation will essentially be given a resurrected body. So they're going to come out from hell. They're going to come out from the sea, wherever um, that person is. Um, And essentially, they're going to stand before Christ at the throne of God. So Jesus will be the one accounting all of each individual's person's evil deeds all throughout their life. So the entire congregation and the entire court of heaven is going to hear these individual judgments. And it says that the Bible states that the books are open. Well, one book contains that person's actions, their thoughts, their sins that they committed while they were alive. And then the other book is the book of life. So every time a person has laughed at and made fun of, scoffed at, um, or verbally rejected Christ, those accounts will be read out to that individual so that there will be no excuse as to why each person is being condemned. It was them and their choices that got them to this place, not God. It was their choice to scoff at and reject God's love. They're completely without defense or excuse. So there's no defense attorney in heaven. Um, Then we have the book of life. So the Bible says that every name who was not written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. So this is where Jesus is saying, um, if you think back to Matthew chapter 24, sorry, Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, um, Jesus says, depart from me, you wicked people into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So the second death at the end of the 1,000-year, sorry, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, um, this is the second resurrection. So all non-believers will be cast there um, into the lake of fire with their individual judgment. So the lake of fire is also what we on earth would call hell. Um, In Genesis chapter 19, Verse 24, I believe, it's described as a place of fire and brimstone, um, sulfur burning rock associated with eternal judgment. Jesus says it's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, It's described in the Bible as a place of outer darkness with no escape and no form of relief. So the moment that you enter into the lake of fire, you could be there for 10,000 years, a million years, um, doesn't matter. You're still no closer to getting out because our souls are eternal. It's the opposite of God. So if God is eternal light and love, hell is outer darkness and hatred. So I I think it's interesting, though. I like how Jesus says there that it was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't originally intended for humans. So he does make that point. And it seems like a harsh punishment when you're looking from the outside in. But if if you look at it from God's scope of view... Does he not give people hundreds of thousands of opportunities um, each day to accept him and to know him and to love him? Because there's probably people that you can think of right now who you've told about the love of God. 
you've probably told them the gospel. Um, and what do they do 99% of the time? They'll brush it off. They don't want to hear it. They kind of ignore it, um, you know, scoff at it. Jesus tells us that men love the darkness more than they love the light. So you have to consider how many thank you Jesus signs do you see when you drive through a neighborhood? How many times have you seen the word words God loves you on a billboard? Or you hear on social media about the love of God and you scroll right past it? I know for me personally, I probably see a dozen of those signs a day. And this is a true story. Um, One time in 2020, I had just finished reading the Bible cover to cover for the first time. And I remember I went out and got drinks with um, drinks and dinner with one of my friends. And we met a couple there that I had never met before. And I was getting on the topic of, you know, the end of the world, Jesus, the signs and, you know, Jesus is coming back. And, um, you know, I genuinely believe that. And little did I know, a lot of people don't know this stuff. Um, So the guy looks at me like I'm a lunatic and he just goes, we'll see. We'll see? You want a chance up your eternity for a we'll see? Yeah, I'm gonna never, I'll never forget that. Um, But here's the reality. One day you will die. I wish I could say this to this guy, but you're gonna die. Every person has a soul. Every person has a conscience, conscience. That's a tough word for me. Um, So when you die, do you think nothing happens? Or do you think that eternity happens? Because one of those two things is correct. And that means there's a 50% chance that you could either die and nothing happen. And life is meaningless and pointless. And why the heck are we even here anyway? Or there's a 50% chance that you die and your soul leaves your body. And you're either in heaven for eternity with Christ or you're in hell for eternity, separated from God forever, just like you wanted. So if someone told me, hey, there's a 50% chance that if you leave your house today, you're going to die from a car crash. Well, guess what I ain't doing that day? I ain't leaving my house. So why, why even bank on it? What have you got to lose with believing in God? A lifestyle where you get drunk and you don't care about others and you have so much pride and hate in your heart that you never do anything meaningful with your life. You never go out of your way to love others or to help others and you resent what us Christians call God. Why would you live like that? What's the purpose of your life if you live like that? Jesus tells us to love one another. He says that our purpose on earth is to love. So we're called to care for the sick, provide for the homeless, defend life. We're called to represent him. He told us to be the salt of the earth while he prepares a place for us. It's our jobs as Christians to restrain evil and to live out this life with purpose and with meaning. And the only way to have purpose in life is to love people the way that Christ loves us. So I'm not saying that Christians are perfect because trust me, we are far from it. But the difference is, we know that we're sinners, and we know that we need a Savior. Versus a non-Christian who is also a sinner, but just won't admit it or won't do anything about it. Last point, then I'll move on. So tell me, is this from the New Testament, or is this from the Old Testament? I'm going to read this verse from the Bible. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. 
and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So is that from the Old Testament or is that from the New Testament? That's from the Old Testament. That is from the prophet Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. This was written about 700 years or so before Jesus was born. The thing I find interesting about this verse is it's perfectly describing Jesus Christ. Not only did Isaiah describe Jesus as being a child and the Almighty God at the same time, but he also says the government will be on his shoulder. Isaiah is talking not only about the first coming of Christ that has already been fulfilled, he's talking about the second coming of Christ as well, where he reigns for a thousand years and governs the earth. That's why we need to know Bible prophecy as Christians, because this is the type of stuff that saves people. So, um, anyway, we discussed the final judgment and then what happens to all the non-believers after the 1,000 years is up. But make no mistake, Christ reigns for a thousand years on earth, but he is also reigning forever in eternity too. So what happens next? So sin is cast away forever. Um, Satan is gone forever. Now we who are with Christ are able to live in eternity in unity with him for all time. But what does that eternal state look like for us? So we know that from Revelation the city Jerusalem is elevated on a high mountain during the time of Christ's reign and that all of the surrounding mountains are brought down low. But once eternity begins, there appears a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from God the Father, which you can read about in Revelation chapter 21 verse 2. Um, the millennial kingdom of Christ marks the end of time as we humans understand time. So from that moment forward, it's eternity. And time is no longer a linear concept to us. So what does the New Jerusalem look like? In Revelation, the New Jerusalem is described as being the shape of a massive cube. So it's said to be 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles wide, and then 1,400 miles high. So it's literally a massive cube that comes down from heaven. And this sounds like science fiction to us because we're imagining things in an earthly point of view. But I imagine this city being almost the size of the United States based off of these dimensions. So it's going to be enormous. Um, the disciple John describes this city in the book of Revelation as resting on the earth or perhaps hovering over the surface. But it literally comes down from heaven, which probably means that it already existed in heaven. So... The size of a city like this, I think I read that it could easily accommodate 20 million people, each with their own 75 acres of land. So this is huge, enormous. Um, the walls are 216 feet thick, 1,400 miles high, and they're made of jasper and a transparent golden composition appearance, according to the Bible. Um, there are 12 gates made of a single pearl, which is where the term the pearly gates come from. The gates are guarded by angels, and then the name of the gates are um, named of the 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12 foundation stones laid for the city, and they contain the names of the 12 apostles of Jesus. Each are um, made from their own precious stone. And then 
Um, this city represents both Israel and the church. So it calls itself home to every Jew and Gentile who accepted Christ Jesus. So we're all united by faith in God. Sorry, y'all. If it sounds like I'm tired, it's because I am tired. I've been working like 50, 60 hour weeks lately. And every weekend that I try to record this podcast, we have um, something planned, company coming over, um, stomach bug. So it's just been, it's been a rough few weeks for me. So I apologize if I sound like I'm getting tired here. But um, anyway, moving on. The Bible tells us that there is also a single street made of transparent gold. So this is where you hear the term um, streets of gold. And then there's also a river that flows from the throne of God. This is the river of life. And it's described as having crystal clear water that provides water 24-7. On the side of the river of life is the tree of life. And this yields 12 fruit every month. And this is also a reintroduction of the tree of life that you read about in the book of Genesis that God puts his angels around so that Adam and Eve can't access it anymore um, since they went against God's word. So the tree of life existed in the Garden of Eden, and you can read more about that in the book of Genesis, which is really cool that it kind of comes full circle and we get it back again. So this is going to be called the holy city where all of us dwell together with God forever. It says that we have no need of the sun anymore because God is our light. There's no more day. There's no more night. Um, It's just always God's light permeating throughout the city. It also says there is not going to be any sickness anymore. There will be no death, no pain, no fear. We will just live in perfect harmony with God for all eternity. Um, We live in unity with him and with Christ Jesus, and we just always experience pure joy. And who knows what we'll do in the new Jerusalem? Um, This is our final destination. Our final destination is not heaven, like a lot of people think. Of course, that's our goal when we die is to get to heaven. Um, If we haven't been raptured or if we haven't, um, you know, lived through the tribulation period. Heaven is, of course, the goal, but our final destination as Christians is the new Jerusalem. So that's our hope. Um, we will, let's see here. I'm trying to get my thoughts back together because I know the last thing we touched on was the river of life, the tree of life. Um, so yeah, basically the apostle Paul writes that the the eyes have not seen and ears have not heard the things that God has in store for us who love him. So I don't know about you, but I personally cannot wait for this moment. I can't wait to be in the new Jerusalem. I think about this probably 30 times a day, and I look forward to it because I know that I am not a citizen of earth. I'm a citizen of heaven, and I do not belong here on earth. My reality is not here on this plane. My reality is what's above the stars. So that's it. That's the whole Bible. Well, (laughs) that's the that's the second coming of Christ. That's not the whole Bible. But um, the book of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible, ends with this. Um. I'm just going to read straight from the book. It says, If any man will take away the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his part of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. He which testifies of these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So that is it. That's the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is the timeline of everything that happens. Um, Just to give a quick overview, let me make sure I'm not going over my time here. Okay, we're good. 
so just to give a quick overview, um, next thing that happens, rapture, boom, we out of here, baby. Then we got the seven-year tribulation on earth. Then we have the first resurrection. Then we have the 1,000-year millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Then we have the second resurrection, which is also the final judgment. Satan gets locked away forever. Evil's gone forever. Eternity with God forever. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Even so, come Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you guys. Have a great week. Talk to you next time.